Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Today, three new films, including my pick for the best film of the year, at least so far. It's a musical starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone called La La Land. And Natalie Portman gives another Oscar-caliber performance, this time playing the grieving wife of JFK in those horrible days following his assassination in Dallas. And Will Smith, he just wants to tug at your heartstrings in a new tearjerker. It's called Collateral Beauty. And I'm Smollier, Haley Hamilton Cogill. I'll pair Gary's best film of the year with a starry-eyed sparkler for La La Land this week. And for the Queen of Camelot, the Queen of All Italian Reds. But first, Gary, I know you have been waiting months to finally talk about La La Land. I know a couple weeks ago you said you thought Arrival was the best film of the year, but you kind of think La La Land might be it. Well, I loved Arrival, and we, we that film I can see two or three times. I can see La La Land two, three, four, five Absolutely. times. Absolutely. Listen, I'm going to gush for a little while, yeah. and I, I kind of— just want to talk a little bit. I know you bit. love this film. So where do I begin? It's a, it's a brand new romantic musical. I, I, I can't call it a comedy. I can call it a little bit of a drama. It's directed by Damien Chazelle. And it stars Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And John Legend's got a great little part in it. Rosemary DeWitt's in it. It's about, uh, it's about a jazz singer who can barely get a job, Ryan Gosling. He's a jazz a musician. He's mm-hmm. a piano player. Mm-hmm. And he meets an actress, and they're in L.A. And, you know, the moniker for L.A. has always been, hey, you're in La La Land. You know, L.A.'s always been called La La mm-hmm. Land. It's mm-hmm. also a euphemism for, ooh, you're so in love, you're in La La, La, La Land. Land. <laughs> so what happens to these two people who meet, they don't really like each other when they meet. And then they, they get together, and they, they start having a little bit of serendipity. And then they get together, and they dance, and they sing. And it's a little bit of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, sort of. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's all new. Every song is new. and, and the Songs are great. The songs the, the songs will stay with you after you long after you They're kind of earworm songs. Yeah. It's just great. But, uh, yeah. but I look at that just when they're out on that, on that kind of ledge with L.A. Be- below them, and they— and they're putting their shoes on and off. And you, the music starts, and they're starting to get in sync with the song. And then they, they do this song that's so cool. It's very, like, 1950s, you know, uh, uh, Gene Kelly kind of very dancing. Much. And and the, I thought it, it was such a beautiful film. And, and just how it was colored. Like, the color, the costumes, the, the vibrancy of the colors in the costumes. Kind of like, I think, last year, mm-hmm. the color green in Brooklyn was so... Um, apparent throughout that film. There was green in every, every frame se- of Brooklyn. Yes, yeah. whereas, and now I think with the, the they're so vibrant, vi- you know, very, um, very bright hues used um, throughout this film, how the sky is colored, how the, the costumes are colored. It was, it was almost a, a, an additional part of, because when I think when you think of Hollywood, in LA, you you think of all of just all these beautiful people and all this all this glitz and and yet it's a really dirty city. Well, yeah, uh, there's so many things <laughs> dirty about LA. And the film opens. I've got a lot to say here. So, the, and I'm not going to give everything away, but the film opens on the freeway, and I think it's on the 405, and it's on a ramp, and it's literally on that freeway on a ramp that you, you spend the first two minutes trying to figure out how they're making this. And there's a lot of tracking shots. There's very little editing in it. And there's hundreds of cars and hundreds of people and singers and dancers. And it's a big, bright new morning in Los Angeles because it's always kind of sunny or smoggy in L.A. (laughs) And they take kind of the dirtiest environment and make this kind of sparkling. Everybody's in primary colors. They're reds and yellow, like you said, all the hues of the rainbow are in there. And and, and it gets this film off to a, a fantastic start that's different than anything we're, we're kind of used to. Yeah. 
And then the the two stars of the film end, end up being in that traffic yeah. jam, and it starts their story. Um, I, I, D- Damien Chazelle is the guy that did Whiplash. Mm-hmm. He's only third. I think he's thirty one years old, or yeah. he's in his young thirties. Yeah, he's so young to be making movies on, of this caliber. Of this caliber, Absolutely. and I think of this level. And I would never put Whiplash with La La Land. They're both about music. Mm-hmm. But Whiplash to me was a very dark and <laughs> yeah. really fantastic. Really great, yeah, yeah. And 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 to, and to see him kind of pull this off, I, it's going to get, I think, at least a dozen Oscar nominations, eight or ten of them. But also, uh, Damien co-wrote uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, that sci-fi film with, with John Goodman and. Um, who is the guy? Oh, who is the guy? Oh, I forget. But um, he, he's so good. You know what's what's the guy? Because he's, cause he's the he's the you. he's the Broadway guy, right? That was in Newsroom. Who's that guy? Oh, that's right. I can't remember his name, yes. but he was the guy in Newsroom. Yeah. Kid. Yeah. 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 But, uh, and then Emma Stone. I, I, to me, Emma Stone and, and we'll get to Jackie later, but Emma Stone and Natalie Portman and Amy Adams probably going to fight it out for best actress Ooh, this year. What about year. Jessica Chastain? We I a lot think about her last she's going to have a tough time getting nominated. But it's good women this year. It's, it's good we, women we've this year. We've said that a few times. And, and it Whoever just wins this year is going to, I mean, it's a year where, where Florence Foster Jenkins, my, Meryl Streep, might not even get nominated. Right. And she's great in that film. Right. She, right. I, I think she should. But remember, Emma Stone did Crazy Stupid Love, and who was in that film? Ryan, Ryan Gosling, Gosling was in that film. It's you know, such she, a great film. She was in Spider-Man. She did a Broadway debut in Cabernet. But she goes all the way back, or, or Ryan Gosling goes all the way back to the Mickey Mouse Club. I love that. He was dancing and singing on the Mickey Mouse Club, and Ryan Gosling has a band called Dead Man's Bones, <laughs> and he owns a Moroccan restaurant in Beverly Hills. I love that. Well, that's the first time I remember Ryan Gosling. He was um, he was kind of the the Southern... Football player and remember the Titans and and yes, he was, gosh, he was. He was a little baby and he was so cute. <laughs> just, that was him. Was. He did Lars and the Real Girl, which was a fascinating film to me. Blue Valentine. Blue Valentine was Williams, so hard. It was oh. just tough stuff. Ides of March, Gangster Squad, The Place Beyond the Pines, which I really like. Yeah. And then The Big Short. I mean, he's 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 a big time movie star, but. We don't think of him as a singer and a dancer, and he's really he's good. Really He'll get good. nominated for Best Actor for this. It's I don't kind know of like Ed Norton has done some some kind of musical roles, and, yes. and then you take American History X, and then uh-huh. you have this like guy singing and dancing. It's great the versatility of 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 acting. Another it's, couple notes about this that are on my mind is is it moves into this big romantic thing because not only they're in love, but they live in a difficult world, and their jobs are difficult, and they have to choose at some point in their lives in the story. Um, how important their love is as opposed to their careers because they're very career driven and they both have, they're, they're both trying to help each other's careers. But those are big decisions. I think that young, really, especially really young people, young artists have trouble making. And, and there's, uh, you know, there's consequences to all those decisions that they make of what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. And as a musician, because this is about jazz music and about the love of jazz music and how jazz music is kind of lost on, Regular people. So how do you get regular people to love jazz? Well, you get John Legend and you form a band and you put some jazz in there, but it's really a pop band. Mm-hmm. And do you sell out? Mm-hmm. And all those things. I you know, Does she sell out as an actress just trying to get a commercial? And what's she going to do? And what happens if she gets lucky and gets a really great movie role or a part? And it's Emma Stone. And there's this one great scene. And I, I'm going to say and not give anything away, but the last, I think, 25 minutes of this film, are you are euphoric for me? They just fly and take off into all kinds of emotional territory and artistic territory, and I I love it with a tinge of melancholy. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's La La Land. They live in it. It's hard. It's dirty. But in their eyes, everything's beautiful and they're in La La Land. It really is. And and the music is, I think the music will definitely get some some great nominations. I think it wins the Oscar for best song. Mm-hmm. I don't know Original which, song. Original song. And I think it wins the Oscar for best music score mm-hmm. because it is all original. Um, I, I think it's... I, it's I, kind of one of those, if, if you're into it's buying... It's nominated before it wins. Sure, but, sure. Yeah. But if you're into buying uh, CDs, soundtracks, uh-huh. this is definitely one to yeah. to put on your list because yeah. it, it's it's great. It's good It's good background music so, when you write. So I'm throwing this big gush of a... I think it's hopeful. I think it's beautiful. It's kind of gushing for me. And uh, it's a movie that I'll see over and over again. And if you're an actor and you're a musician, you have to see this film because it will encourage you. Uh, what are you thinking about? Well, so you have to have. I, I would think if you're in starry, starry-eyed, la-la land, then you have to have some stars in your glass. And if you're going to have stars in your glass, <laughs> then you need to go back to the beginning, which is Don Perignon, who, wow. the, the Benedictine monk in the uh, you know lived from 1638 to 1715, that is noted for exclaiming that he was seeing stars in his glass when um, when champagne was kind of originally created. He uh, he was noted for for doing uh, for for creating many of of the enhancements to make quality sparkling wine and champagne, um, including using corks instead of wooden stoppers, which I found that to be kind of interesting. Was he the first to use corks? That's I from from what from wow. from what I understand and and really um though he he wasn't noted for making the first vintage of Dom Perignon. That actually happened in 1921. Um, he is noted as as the the person who kind of created how sparkling wine um, with that second fermentation taking place in the bottle. Because basically, he had a bottle of wine that that um, if if you add yeast to if you add fresh yeast to to wine with some sugar in it, that there was probably a little bit of residual sugar left in in a bottle that was that had a stopper in it that then um, came in contact with yeast. And then that's how, that's basically how, how bubbles are created. And he figured this out in the 1600s? And so it was kind of, I, I don't know if he really knew he was figuring it out, right. <laughs> but it happened. And, We're and going to give him the credit. From that, exactly. He's been given, he's been credited for it. And then from that, the the glorious world of, of traditional method sparkling wine or traditional method champagne uh, was created. And, and again, kind of, Taking this this uh, this starry eyed um, kind of idea of of blissfulness and and you know champagne wishes and caviar dreams that I think every young hopeful um, aspiring anything whether it be actor or, or musician or or if you want to be you know president of the country whatever your goal is of of what do you what do you want at some point it's it's to be at the top of your game it's Did you just quote Robin Leach? I did. Champagne wishes and caviar dreams. I'm Robin Leach. <laughs> Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Um, one interesting kind of thing I thought with with Dom is uh, unlike a lot of um of other champagnes you know there's usually champagne usually has a kind of house style and so it, there's it's a non-vintage um sparkling wine that you can just um, find pretty readily. Every time Dom is actually um, released, it's always a vintage. Um, it's always a vintage sparkling. It's always a vintage champagne. And so, with it being a vintage, it's only created in the very best years. Also, so the current release right now is a 2006. 
And um, I just, I, I, I thought it was just kind of a, a special, uh, kind of perfect bubble. And in 1981, Dom was chosen for the wedding of Lady Di and Prince Charles as well. I think they had the 1961. Um, but it's it's kind of that if you're gonna have if you're gonna have the perfect little little sparkler, it's it's the way to go. So I have a couple of questions because I'm I'm kind of fascinated about what's going on in the 1600s with Dom Perignon, a Benedictine monk. Yes, and then you have that all that space and time up till 19. 19- 21 when they did their first vintage. Well, it was because you go from from having, I mean, if you think back about the history of, of wine in France, either the church owned the vineyards and made wine or the nobility owned the vineyards and, and made wine, but most often it was the church. And so, um, it wasn't until post, you know, Napoleon when land was divided and then champagne houses were created and Moet is the, the parent to um, Dom. And which makes lots and lots of different fantastic right. bubbles, including they own Vouv, they own um, obviously Moet and Moet and Moet Chandon, and um, so they go way way back. So they yes, they're um, but and so it was under their house essentially um, that that the first wine was was created. But um, and and it's it's also really interesting to to travel in France, and then you see some of these very very historic vineyards and. You don't see um, you see families that have have had vineyards in their their uh, their history and and for you know ten or twenty generations. So vineyard properties they might have been farming the land, but they didn't own the winery, they didn't own the chateau or the the domain because it, unless they were part of the nobility, or like I said, they were part of the church, yeah. and then all of that was divided out. Well, I have this weird image in my head, and, and uh, it's a little backstory to it. So my my dad and I, when I was I was probably ten, we would make root beer at home, and he had a bot uh, a bottle capper in the basement, this old hand crank thing, and so we would store up through the year uh, a whole bunch of empty you know Coke bottles and stuff, and then we'd make our own batch of root beer and put it in there and cap it off, and all winter long while it laid down, they would explode every once in a while. About every ten days, you'd hear a boom. And it was down in the basement, and we'd lose about 10 or 15 bottles over the winter uh, because we wanted to drink it in the summer. And and they would just explode. I would imagine before modern packaging, back in the day of champagne, of making bubbly, oh, yeah. those explode. <laughs> Or before they figured out thicker glass. Well, yeah, yes, I think thicker glass was was a big part of it, and but that's historically we we saw we were we just had a, a, a firsthand experience with with bottle disgorgement um, when we were up in in Willamette and Valley last week. That's the first time for me that that if you if you think about it, every bottle of sparkling wine um, before it actually is corked has a cap on it, and then um, within the the top of the cap. There's like a little, kind of a little plastic catcher that you, um, that when you start riddling those bottles, you have the the bottles laid down and then you slowly um, start kind of uh, leaning the bottles upwards and and turning them half a, you know, half a turn every day or or every few days um, to, to start gathering all those dead yeast cells at the top. And then once you, you have all of that yeast 
um, captured, usually they freeze the top of the bottle so that it doesn't explode like we had the the great opportunity to experience with our friend David Adelsheim over the last weekend. Um, But... when it's not frozen, then you when you pop that cap, then then the everything <laughs> the yeast it cells come out, out that everything that you it's a big might lose some of your juice as well. I thought there was a you know a parallel between my dad's root beer and Dom Perignon. And well, there probably is. I, I don't think, think yours had um, probably as much alcohol content. At least I hope it didn't. I don't think it had any, but we got we all got a nice buzz off. That's the root beer. good. That's good. So La La Land and Dom Perignon. I'm a happy guy. Absolutely. When we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, two more high-profile films arrive this week in theaters. Natalie Portman as Jackie Kennedy in Jackie. And Will Smith doesn't say a word for the whole first half of his new film. Wow. It's called Collateral Beauty, and we'll be back. Welcome back to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. Natalie Portman is winning awards right and left for her performance as Jackie Kennedy, with most of the film taking place during and immediately following the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas way back in November, I think, 22nd, 1963. That's really 53 years ago. This is a biographical drama that is as odd as the day is long. And I, I, I like, I can't wait to have this discussion with you because I think we feel differently about the film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's odd because it has a real European feel to it. Mm-hmm. And no Very wonder so. because they shot <laughs> Jay, they shot Jackie on in Paris in right. a, a soundstage. And it's they are not driving up Stimmons Freeway. And when they go <laughs> in Dallas. When, he, when the assassination happens and they go to Parkland Hospital and you realize we live in Dallas. We know what every freeway and that whole site looks like because we see it almost on on a weekly basis. Um, it does not look like Stemmons Freeway. It looks like <laughs> Paris with all these different overpasses. So anybody who kind of knows what that looks like will go, well, that's, that's not odd. Right. Yeah. And yet, I'm going to say this. I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, 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 it mattered for a second when I saw it, but this is really a character study of one woman mm-hmm. and the people around her, but it's really about her and it's really about grief because it's, I, I think the whole thing takes place for, within four days mm-hmm. or five days after the assassination, mm-hmm. all the way from, um, Johnson being there and on the plane and, and I mean, everything happened to her. And they flash back a little bit of when it was Camelot and they recreate, uh, the time that she went, I think it was on NBC. I mean, maybe it was CBS. Mm-hmm. I think it was CBS. Mm-hmm. It was one of the networks where she gave the very first tour, the first time a camera was ever allowed in the White House and she gave everybody a Christmas tour. And I watched that as a little yeah. tiny boy. I, yeah. I was really little, but I have this image and I thought her voice well, was weird. And-, and because she had, she was kind of the first, first lady in quite some time to actually do a remodel on the White House, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah, you know, and so and, she kind of wanted to, it to be, and seen. the world, was, and the world was fascinated with well, her, and, and with her taste. Like before that, were tours given of the White House? Because now being able to have a tour of the White House is kind of I what you ass- do when you go to DC. I would assume back then they've always toured, okay. but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. But it's so odd and awkward to watch that tour, and it was odd and awkward when you were a kid watching it because I, I was trying to do some research on how accurate. You know, she is as Jackie. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think she's really accurate. Mm-hmm. That voice is so weird and peculiar, and we're just not used to hearing it because you have to go back and look at archive footage. We know what she looked like, right? But we, we, and we know her voice was 
And very cultured and very, very New England. <laughs> it's very Southern that you just gave. <laughs> I just went to Charleston. I know, and I don't know where you are. But, <laughs> I, I started doing Jackie know, and Savannah. Know, but I think we know what you're going for. <laughs> but, but so I want, and Billy Crudup's in the film. He plays, this is based on an interview that she did immediately following the assassination. So a lot of it's based on the transcripts of his interview. And once again, those scenes are not shot in Washington. They're shot in the hillsides outside of Paris. They did shoot uh, the funeral procession uh, on the streets of Washington. Mm -hmm. But most of it's in Paris on a soundstage. And and, uh, and Peter Sarsgaard plays, uh, is it Bobby? Yeah. Uh, the brother and yeah. they're not really going for the great accent they're just kind of going for an intimate look at what was going on i i watched this film and i i was sad the entire time more sad when it was over because it's too much to ask of somebody to play to the camera and to be all things to all people while you're burying your husband right right we we put as a country too many demands on her at the time and i wasn't really aware of that mm-hmm. and and she also accepted it mm-hmm. and and she also wanted them and her her and her two children out there and to walk in that processional down the street not ride in a in a hearse mm-hmm. or, or a limo i all those discussions are really really interesting to me so i thought the film worked but i'm going to apologize for it because i think a lot of people are looking for a movie and it's different it's very european and it's a character study and it's 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 not the movie. Oh, Jackie! Let's go right. see a film about Jackie. Right. And it's really a film about grief. Well, and I think that that's just you know there have been so many there have been so many stories and and I I wasn't uh, alive at the time, but you you go back and you just kind of look at the history and then you you wonder what kind of man JFK was and how how loved he was and how um, uh, some people uh, just all of the different opinions of of who. JFK was and then who Jackie was and I kind of always just took her to be someone who was very very private because she like her focus wasn't on being the politician's wife though she was probably the perfect politician's wife because she never stepped out of line she never um she never did anything wrong and I thought that that was actually one of the most interesting aspects of this portrayal and and probably the the back notes of this interview is is how much how much she said that then she said but you can't say that but and you how can't say and it. how you she's can't print that. and how she's smoking through the whole thing but then she you know constantly says and you know I don't smoke like like this is what you're allowed to say about me versus this is who I really am and and so I think if anything it just kind of it just kind of uh, hits the nail on the head that we really have no idea who who this person was except someone who went through just horrific grief in her life. I mean, how, how yeah, I, I, I can't the, imagine. The, the director's from Chile. He's a Chilean filmmaker. He's, he has another film called Neruda, which he shot in Chile, which is getting a lot of Oscar buzz for the foreign language film this year. In fact, it, it, he could have Jackie up for a number of Oscars and he could be up for a foreign language film. I think Natalie Portman's so interesting because she won the Oscar for Black Swan. That's a very disturbing Darren Aronofsky film. And Darren Aronofsky, who directed her in Black Swan, had been trying to make this Jackie film for years and, and, and gave it up. You know, she was also in The Other Boleyn Girl and Thor. But we know her as Padma. She's Padma uh, uh, Amidala in the Star Wars 
trilogy oh. in the three Star Wars films. <laughs> not not on Food Network. I was she's like, not, what are you talking about? Padma Lashki. She's not Padma. She's not hosting. She's Padma she's not top, hosting top show. No. I used to interview her. I used to interview her a lot. When, Natalie Portman? Yes. I used to interview her a lot. Interview for all those Star Wars films and and and, uh, and Black Swan, too. And I, I really think she's really fascinating. And she's, you know, she's kind of delicate. Well, it's and interesting. became really famous really young. The, and, well, and just a part that I, because I, you know, I I love a good historical drama. And yeah. so her other Boleyn girl um, role, where she actually played Anne Boleyn, uh-huh. and Scarlett Johansson played her sister. And I think we sometimes think of Scarlett Johansson as more the um, flashy uh, uh, maybe a little bit more seductive, maybe a little bit more um, mm-hmm. not the one that would, or or I wouldn't have said Natalie Portman was the one that would steal, you know, yeah. the heart of a king. <laughs> I would have thought that that might have been more of the Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, you're going to yeah. go super sexy and go Scarlett. <laughs> and, and I thought that they both were so, um, well, I, I'm a huge fan of the film. I just loved yeah. it. I love the books. It's, that's my kind of thing. But um, I, I just really kind of, I loved her in that because it was so out of what I have thought her character was. I think the music score of this film, Jackie, really bothered me. It, it's, it's a music score that never really kind of worked for me, but that's just you know, like one little thing. And I'm going to say this again. I don't know very many people I'd take to say, see Jackie, but everyone I know wants to see it. But uh, I, I always want to warn them that this is a different film. It's like an, it's a true art film and it's a true character study and it's really about grief. You're going to learn a lot, but it's not a big entertainer. You know, it's not like, hey, here's Jackie. So it's it's really bathed, I, I think, in, in in some real sadness. But also, you know, she put a front on. She had to put a front on. So I'm thinking, what what wine would you? Well, so for um, such a sad film. Um, so you know, sometimes you have uh, you have to have your, as you said, you put a front on. You have the the face you put out to the world, and yet you could have your own walls up inside. And so for this um, Queen of Camelot that everyone thought Camelot was so beautiful and they had this just la-la, happy, another la-la land, a happy lifestyle. Um, a wine that basically on, you might think of what you'll you you'll get um, on the outside and then inside the layers of nuances kind of are revealed. And so um, I wanted something that um, might inherently be uh, very robust and very um, intense and very in your face, um, but can also be very soft and elegant and and quite finesse. Wow. And, and so the variety is Nebbiolo, which I've mentioned many times. I love the Nebbiolo fruit, especially from the Piemonte region of Italy. Um, Nebbiolo is the king of Italian reds in Barolo. But um, when made in the Barbaresco region, which is just, um, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump away from from the, the region of Barolo, they basically sit almost side by side, um, it's actually a little bit a little bit more nuanced, um, a little softer, a little bit more elegant. And it kind of has to do both with um, where the, the, the vines for Barbaresco, for how the, the region laid, is laid out, um, will have slightly maybe more nutrients in them. And, and it's a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit warmer area than, than uh, I think the Barilla region maybe has some higher elevations. So you get a lot of the, um, the acid and the tannin that, that is inherent in Nebbiolo 
um, is very apparent in Barolo, whereas in Barbaresco, it's maybe a little bit softer. You get more of kind of the fruit elements um, and and a little bit um, juicier, a little bit a little bit fresher, um, while remaining the you know having the incredible structure and character and um and density of of the nebbiolo fruit so i i kind of thought that that was because i think sometimes if you think of nebbiolo you think you you'll know what you're gonna get but Mm -hmm. um but it can also it can be very very in your face but it can also be very very soft and refined and and i think barbaresco is kind of a great example of that um there's one um marchesi de Gresse, um the martinega vineyard in barbaresco is kind of one that is is one of the most kind of classic examples there there's some uh, Gaia makes several different Barbarescos. There, there's some really, really great ones, and they tend to be a little bit less expensive, also than than some Barolos. So Barolos can be really pricey. I mean, well, the big, and the big fat Italian red, absolutely. And there are certainly some. I think they kind of go across the the board, but um, you can also usually drink a Barbaresco a little bit earlier than some uh, of the Barolos, just because those tannins are a little bit softer, so they don't need as much time to integrate in the bottle, and and so that was kind of. I just it, that was it, can you relate a Barbaresco to any um, American varietals? Um, sure. I mean, it's it's. Uh, we don't really have American varieties. You mean like international varieties? Um, well, it's not a cab. No, so it's not so, like a cab. Well, so Nebbiolo, like I think a couple of weeks ago, we said that like Xenomavro and Nebbiolo have have a lot of um, the same kind of characteristics. Um, and you could actually, it's there's not as much. I think that the tannin structure. There's certainly the 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 tannins are similar to like the tannins of a cab, but the, a tab a cab I don't think has the acidity of of Nebbiolo. Um, uh, Pinot Noir certainly has the acidity, and and some some Pinots can be rather in your face, especially if they've gone through prolonged um, oak aging. That really kind of enhances some of that uh, some of the tannins in the fruit. Um, so no, that yeah. helped. No, that, okay. that that helped me a lot. But I yeah. I will say I think that it, it I'm such a fan of of Nebbiolo because it is so unique and and on its own and and it is kind of it, it's it's the king it's the king and queen yeah. of Italian reds and so it's one of the the most iconic kind of um, varieties out there. It's not maybe planted as much as some of the other international varieties, but it definitely it's not like it's a it's not like it's uh, uh, you know. Uh, a Certico or a yeah. Xenomarvara or something that They're you wouldn't really it. find in, yeah. in yeah. you know, only a handful of different um, regions in the world. So I saw this movie Collateral Beauty the other day, mm-hmm. and I was kind of, I was kind of oddly, uh, I kind of liked the ending, and I, I will never give away the ending as we talk movies on here. But when I got to the movie, I spent an hour just trying to get to the point of the movie where I was. A little bit weirded out by it, and it's got Kate Winslet in it, it's got Helen Mirren in it, it's got Will Smith in it, and it's another film about grief where he just kind of, you know, he's he's had a big loss in his life, and so he just shuts down and he runs an advertising agency, and so all of his employees, Kate Winslet and all of them, try to get him to open up. He hasn't spoken in months, and they're about to lose their business, and he starts writing letters to love and death and hope. And he writes these abstract letters and all of a sudden love and hope and death show up in the form of a person and meet him. And it draws him out. 
And that's basically the movie. And then there's, there's a whole big twist that it's kind of sweet, but I, I think this movie's, it's like a message movie that just wants to beat you over the head with a message every five minutes and tell you how to feel. And even if you like the message and want to embrace the message, and Will Smith is very good in it. They're all very good in it. But it's just so overwritten and kind of heavy-handed that at one point when I kind of got near the end of it, um, I, w- I was glad that I teared up a little bit, but I realized I was being completely manipulated by the film. And, and that's, that's okay. So, you know, every once in a while there's a film that comes along that's not challenging and you just want to take some family members and have a good cry, it might be collateral beauty. Wow. It's kind of that it's kind of that movie that's so if you need if you need your Christmas film to make your family cry. It's so safe. You know, it's not it's not a big vulgar film and it's so safe and oh, you know, you should cry, so you will, and it just takes you down that road. I'm I'm not I'm not a big fan of the film, but I'm a big fan of his. And I thought he was much better in Concussion, mm-hmm. which is a really, really good film. Mm-hmm. And uh but he does. He's been kind of making these pursuit of happiness. He should have won the Oscar for Ali. Um, it's the director of Devil Wears Prada. We probably should know better. That's a much better film than Collateral Beauty. And I like the title. I like that in your mm-hmm. life there is Collateral Beauty. You just have to look for it. Mm-hmm. In the messiness of our lives, if you just pay attention, there's going to be some Collateral Beauty going on, so pay attention to it. So I uh, basically told you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, want you to, I want you to feel good. I want you to have a good cry at Christmas. And, just watch Love Actually instead. <laughs> watch Love Actually, which you did on the plane the other day. And I, I'm going to say, how many times do you think you've seen Love Actually? I can't even count them all. 20, 30? Uh, oh my, at least. At least. And it, it still stands up. I actually watched it twice. I watched it going and coming home for on our plane ride because I just love it. And how many times have I seen it? Probably about half that many but I look over and I'm watching it without sound because I know every scene. And when oh it's joyful, God, you know, when, when she sits on the bed and they play both sides now, oh. Alan Rickman's wife, Emma Thompson, Emma Thompson, the late oh. great Alan Rickman, uh, that whole just breaks my heart. And it's and when Laura Lenny finally gets to date Carl, that is like pot. Like I hadn't seen Carl in a movie in forever, and man. He's in everything now. He's in everything. Glad his career is doing well. I know. It's neat. Yes. All right. Hey, we've got good stuff this week, though. La La Land and and Jackie and then the weirdness of Collateral Beauty. Next week on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, we dig deep into the new Star Wars spinoff. It's called Rogue One. And Denzel Washington directs himself and Viola Davis in a powerful new film opening Christmas Day. It's called Fences. Plus, we're back from Oregon wine country, where the Pinots and the Chardonnays are spectacular. But the winemakers and the stories behind the wines, I think, are even better. I agree. We had a we had a great time, and yeah. I can't wait to to talk a little bit more about that next week. But for more on any of the films or wines we talked about today, please check out our Perfect Pairing blog on our website or through Facebook, and follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill, and me on Instagram at Twitter at Dallas Uncorked. And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, and as usual, I'm looking for the next great film. And I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine. Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.